You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Sean Sacamondi. Yes, how's it going? That was perfect, wasn't it? That was that was right on. Okay, don't ask me to do that again. <laughs> no, the, one, the one time the beginning is enough. I think we're good now. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself, Sean, and what do you do professionally? Uh, well, professionally, I am a government contractor who uh, teaches the Navy on how to navigate their ships. Uh, that's the full nine to five uh, job, and uh, it's come a long way to that. I know it's it's not something you just break into, but um, I was in the Navy for 20 years. I just retired, uh, let's see, well, yeah, two years ago, um, last month, and uh, I've been doing this for about a year and a half, and that's the full-time, like I said, nine-to-five job, and and uh, on the side, I do a couple things as well. Um, I uh, am a budding, almost full-time artist, and I also own a food truck, which I take out on the weekends with a buddy of mine. Uh, that I know from high school. So I'm always busy, always doing something. I got to ask about the Navy thing. It's, is this just because <laughs> the whole sea navigation system is a little bit complicated if you've never, ever been on a boat before, like learning starboard, learning all these types of things? Like, what the fuck does swap the poop deck mean? I don't know, but we got to <laughs> figure it out. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the last few years, um, uh, navigation itself has taken a wild turn. Uh, it used to be, you know, how you would see on the on the movies. You know, they have the charts out and the little tools, and uh, they used to figure out how to get somewhere by, you know, using the stars and and um, you know your latitudes and longitudes. Uh, in the past, I don't know, ten years, it's taken a wild turn into this whole electronic um, GPS style age, and it, it's it's all outsourced to companies now. Uh, the whole mill military, you know, doesn't work on their own systems like they used to back in the old days. Uh, it's all big companies putting all these major pieces of equipment on ships and, um, and, and they need people to teach them how to learn, you know, to, to use the stuff. So is it pretty simple or is it extremely complicated? It seems like technology is supposed to make it pretty easy, but the way you have to learn the machine seems like it's very difficult. I mean, I don't know how many times I was on my buddy's boat and I would try and work his fish finder. And I was like, what, where the fuck, like, how do you turn this thing on? He was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it says we're 17 feet deep is where the fish are. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. And how are you getting that? Yeah, how the hell would you know? I mean, it's 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 wild, but yeah, the, the, it's exactly what you said. The systems are actually pretty easy to use. It's it's plug and play. Once everything's up and running, it's good to go. Um, the other thing is is that when the ship is out, I mean, the ships goes out to sea for like you know seven to nine months. Um, there's nobody there to fix them, so we teach them all the ins and outs. If something goes wrong, um, if if there's a major catastrophe, how to, how to keep it running. Um, because like I said, there's just nobody out there. You know, you, these guys are out there. They have to do it themselves. Well, we so, learned from the Titanic. I mean, we lost Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> so it's like, can't, can't have that ever happen again. Do you ever, it's a, it's do you ever think about that though? Like if you look at the Titanic, like just the movie in general, whatever, it's like, if that was a real situation, not having the proper steering or maybe lacking to be able to see an iceberg and then you hit something like that and the whole boat starts going down, like. That movie was intense. If you didn't cry in that movie, I don't know what's wrong with you. You might just like be able to sit through old Yeller. That was difficult too. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. You know, you never want to get into a situation like that. And damn it, if Leo had some uh, some education, you know, maybe he could have saved the ship. So <laughs> it would have been a. It made me look at cruises completely differently. Like whenever uh, my uh, brother is a big fan of Three Eleven, I like them too. But they always oh, do yeah. a, they always do a cruise every year, and so do the Impractical Jokers. I'm like, fuck, I don't want that happening. What happens if you hit an iceberg? But like it's July. I'm like, I don't give two shits. You know, there's not enough endless sushi that a buffet or something can give me on a cruise ship or shuffleboard that would make me want to go on there just because you're stuck out there for days. Yeah, you have no idea. You're not in any kind of control at all. You know, you're just along for the ride. God forbid something happens. 
it just reminds me of like, I don't want to bring it to this, but like the Pearl Harbor documentary where they were showing the people in the boats that were going and sinking underwater and how many people didn't get out. That's like oh, my yeah. biggest fear. It's like, imagine just being in a room, you can't get out and there's just water slowly filling up. It feels like a game of saw. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because it is in the back of your mind, like the entire time you're out, you know, I've been on several different ships and we've gone out, I've spent years, you know, communitively, um, years at sea and it's always kind of you know you're always thinking like all right who's up there working you know when your time is you know off and you're just kind of bebopping around the ship you know shooting the shit with your friends and you're like you know where are we you know what's going on out there you know is something going to happen and uh, yeah man it's always it's it's always a, a morbid uh sense of understanding when you're out there that anything could happen at any time and you're really not in control of it so it's pretty wild well, I, I worked on the water. I mean, I live in a beach town of Ocean City, Maryland. So we got water on one side and water on the other. So oh, yeah. I, was a, I was a jet ski guide for so many years. I remember when I first started learning how to work a boat, like the craziest thing is when you get in an impactful situation, like something where everything's falling across at once and you don't know what to do. You've never had that happen before. You go into a state of panic. I mean, I remember just literally just cruising along in a pontoon boat. Then suddenly the thing starts going like, like I'm running over something and the boat's yeah. like slowly stopping. Everything's shaking. I'm in this driver position. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? I figure out I need to trim the motor up because I'm starting to hit sand. I'm getting close to a sandbar. Like if you don't know the waters, you don't know how to navigate. It makes it difficult if you've never been on that voyage before, you know, before they looked at captains with experience. Now they're looking at like, what technology do you have on your boat? Yeah, what's going to get you out of that situation without you even having to do anything? And, and that's great. I mean, that's, I, that's awesome that that has come to that. But at the same time, it doesn't really help you out um, emotionally at that moment. You know, you're, you're in a full freak out situation. I've been in plenty of situations where uh, you're kind of relying on other things to happen. And, and when that doesn't happen, uh, you got to jump in and take care of things. And, you know, thank God. Um, those things happened later in my career where I was already so used to the rhythm of things and you could just jump in and it's kind of like, you know, a version of yourself doing it, you know, cause I, after it's all done, you kind of step back and you're like, damn, I just, I just, I just took care of that. You know, it's, and, and everything was all right because, you know, I kind of just already knew what was going on and, and, you know, made it all right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. When it comes to just the idea of with the Navy and everything, what do you think the biggest problem is with using the little technology? I feel like a lot of old ship captains or something are going to be on the point of like technology can only go so far. I mean, if you've ever seen the movie Battleship or something, like that, they got these giant electronic warfare EMT type weapons on their boat systems. I'm like, are we that far? Like, is it like it feels like that's like one of the most difficult things too. like you talk about boats or something crossing enemy lines or going into another person's territory you know how fucking hard it is to keep a boat on track like you don't even think nobody ever keeps this into their mind and i, I had to tell people as a jet ski guide for so long or if you're just driving a boat there are no brakes on the water you can have something that drops down like jet skis the newer ones have brakes that'll drop a crate down but you got to think if you're going 40 miles an hour it's not a dead stop brake like your car it's just going <laughs> to slow you down you still have the inertia and the current that's still pushing you i don't know how ships don't cross lines like when they go borderline right onto the the state or whatever the enemy lines or something it's like as soon as they cross over we're going to shoot them and the captain's like i'm just i'm actually exactly. i'm just like I'm not touching you, but I'm touching you. Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge thing uh, right now in the Navy. There's a lot of, um, you know, because of this technology that's coming out and being put on these ships, there is, there, there's a huge divide between the old school, old style Navy um, uh, officers and stuff that, you know, aren't going anywhere. They've been in the Navy for 50 years now. And uh, the way things, and navigation is actually a big, a huge part of this. Uh, you know, weapons are great. They don't go throw any new brand new weapon on there to take care of situations. Everybody loves that. But, you know, things like navigation, engineering, um, you know, systems that are hugely been updated in the past few years. Um, and, and you got these old heads that, number one, don't want to move forward because it's the way they did it. So it's the way it worked. And um, they want to stick with that. And then there's, you know, the, the young crowd that's coming in that is all cell phone technology, computer technology, and, you know, hit the buttons and things work. So that's a, there's a huge clash with that right now. And, and, 
the, the thing is like with these buffer lines and stuff, cause I've been in plenty of those situations. I was stationed in the middle East several times and we actually have to deal with that a lot. So we have to put on a, a huge, like five miles between what they say their line is and what we say the line is. And there's usually about five miles in between that, that nobody messes with. So you ensure that nobody's coming out pissed off because it, it, it does happen. Um, we've seen it with a few countries. So I don't want to get into too many details, but I've been around a few countries where uh, there was issues and they had their you know Navy pretty much come out and uh, kind of tangle with us a little bit and, you know, get angry on the radios and kind of, you know, do some uh, maneuvering stuff that pushes away. And they were completely wrong uh, because, you know, we know that we know that area. But what their country says and what our country says, you know, has been a little bit different. So uh, you, you do get into those scuffles and you do see that happening, which is uh, it, it, it gets uh, to that heightened awareness. You start, you know, the hair starts standing up and you're like, oh oh shit, something's going to happen. Like, this is it. This is what we trained for. <laughs> you know, and, you, and, you, and you think something's going to happen. But, you know, it, it never it never actually does. I feel like, yeah, it'd be hard to resist, like teach a do- old dog new tricks, I would say. Yeah. I mean, if you've learned the system and you've been doing it for 40, 50 something years, you know how difficult it is to have this whole new thing that makes everything easier, but it's even trying to learn it for them. It might be easier for a young kid or a younger person coming up starting it. But it's not easy for a person that's been using the same system over and over again. You get comfortable. You get into a routine. And it right. creates difficulties. I mean, you want to make sure you're at the best of your ability when you're leading the military force as well. Yeah, exactly. And these people don't want to hand the torch over a lot of times. You know, that's what, that's what they got. And that's what they're hanging on to. That's what they've known. Um, that's what's worked for them. So any kind of change, I mean, in any situation, it doesn't have to be the military, um, you know, in any situation like that, you know, it's tough to, to hand over the torch to, to young people to say, hey, you know, it's about time that you get to that point where, you know, you know more than I do now, you know, take this and run with it. Uh, because a lot of these guys, I mean, I hate to say it, you know, like I said, I, I've seen a lot of guys retire and have a really hard time outside of the military because they're used to that structure, they're used to that, um, that leadership, that, that type of authority. And they get out in the civilian world, and they don't have that, you know, you're, you're just like regular schmo, you know, working at Home Depot now, and uh, they can't handle it. So a lot of the guys try to hang in there and stick with it. And it's, it's, it's kind of, um, at, at some point, you know, hurting instead of helping out. How did, um, do you go from government contracting this? Like, have you got contracted any super like big government buildings? I mean, I only thing I think I know a little bit about it when it comes to my mom used to tell me how her dad used to or was contracted at one point to do the tiles in the Pentagon before 9-11 happened. So I thought that was really, really interesting that he got to go in there and see the floor maps and see everything like that. I thought that was, I was pretty curious. Yes. um, So, so it's, it's, it's these companies that are hired by the government, um, you know, to work for, you know, different contracts that they have in the military. Mine just happens to be navigation, but uh, there's several buildings like in, in our, in our area, like in Philly, um, it's uh, down at the um, at the Navy Yard now. It used to be a you know fully operation uh, operational Navy base. Now it's uh, mostly Urban Outfitters <laughs> owns owns ninety percent of the uh, of the Navy base now. But there's a lot of government buildings down there that still um, uh, have have contracts with the military. So yeah, we we you're usually stuck in one area. Uh, and everybody has their area of what they do. I have a department that does stuff for engineering, department that does stuff for submarines. Um, you know, weapons are down around, down around that area. And we have a mine. Mine just happens to be uh, the navigation area. I try and think, like, if I was going to be a government contractor or just a contractor in general, I really want to start fixing bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, there should definitely not be a urinal in between another urinal. Like, I don't know what it is if it's just recently or if people want a sense of connection because they're not getting it through conversation that they want to pee right beside you. But, you know, the common courtesy when you go to a urinal and yes, this is a bit of a tangent. I think you're, nah, starting, right on. you're starting to notice how the podcast goes. But um, <laughs> I'll be pissing at a urinal. Next thing I know, a dude walks in. I'm like, oh, he's going to go to the one all the way to the left. So there's a space in between us like a normal person. It's happened probably the past 15 times now. Some dude just goes right in the middle and he doesn't do it right. And when I mean he doesn't do it right, I don't mean he takes a shit in the thing. I mean, he goes extreme with it, like unbuckling the pants, putting his hand up on the wall and like just going (sighs) 
And I'm like, yeah. oh my god. And like, you're not I, even there. I like, I'm a shy pisser in public. Like, if like, next thing I know, like, I hear someone start talking, and I'm like, yo, is that you taking a shit in there? And I'll just my mind will start going on that. Like, I wonder what he had to eat, and like, it just goes off on this weird ass tangent. And my buddy's like, just do math. That shit don't work. I failed math <laughs> like six times. The farthest I can get to is two plus two, and that's not enough to get you concentrated on that so i'm sitting there and i'll stop mid pee and i'm like i really have to pee now and this dude i mean hardcore heavy breathing you know he was like in his 30s but you could tell he smoked and i'm just sitting there like really bro really and he goes what i'm like there's a perfectly good urinal all the way to the left why would you choose the one in the middle sorry man i couldn't hold it i'm like dude i've been holding it for an hour and a half and now i'm holding it again because you're right beside me he goes why are you being weird about it i'm like i am i am i being weird about it (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it's me. It, it's so true. Those are people that are way too comfortable in like locker rooms and stuff. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an etiquette. There's a dude protocol when you go into the bathroom. You know, you always leave that urinal in between unless it's, you know, a no-win uh, situation. And you never get that comfortable. You know, you, you never drop down to the ankles and uh, just go for it, you know? Well, you want that old man confidence, man. Like every time you go into a gym, the there's same. always one – old naked guy and i thought it was like i hadn't really seen it at my gym but like if they're changing they'll take their shirt and they'll get in their tidy whities and stuff and they just don't they don't give two shits not and, at all um, but my buddy took a picture and put it up on snapchat and it was him flexing in the mirror and i noticed in the background there was a naked old guy and you just saw the fucking dick like yeah, in, right in the back corner i screenshot and sent him i was like dude I know you're like looking at your muscles, but did you notice who's in the background? And he goes, holy shit, man. He had it all over social media. (laughs) Everybody was probably screenshotting it. But I'm like, that's what you want in life is that old man naked confidence. But don't do the confidence where you can piss next to somebody in the urinal. I mean, if I was going to be a government contractor, I would take out that middle urinal. I would make the toilets angled a little bit so you don't have to stress so much when you got to relieve yourself i just make it more comfortable i mean they're doing the toughest positions you're working security you're working hell if you work at walmart you got a tough position shit i want to make sure it's a comfortable shit you're exactly right and and in in the navy i mean people you have i mean unfortunately you have to be way too calm i mean you are you're living on a ship with like usually you know three four you know 500 other dudes and uh and, and women now too but um you know for the most part all the ships that i've been on are smaller so they don't have it they're not outfitted for women so it's it's, it's mostly you know dudes hanging around and once you get comfortable with dudes uh that much it, it just gets insane you know it's nobody cares you know you're, you're living your day-to-day life and you can kind of forget the other people around you and and i'm usually the one that kind of reminds people like yo uh yeah can you, can you rope it in a little bit you know this is a little uncomfortable and you know it's <laughs> you got to keep people in check because it does get a little bit out of control you're like come on man like you know just cover up a little bit when you're walking around where people sleep it's just that's the whole reason i wouldn't want to get to prison the whole fact is that there's a toilet i couldn't or- do it I couldn't, not with the metal toilet, dude, in the middle of the floor between everybody. And then you figure out that, that like, the, you have to grab water to be able to flush a lot of the shit down. So if you take a dump, you have to, like, people will be screaming at you to pour some water on it because it'll start smelling. I'm like, all right, this is crazy. But, you know, it goes into a good thing. And you're going to really like this segue that I'm about to do. A urinal stall, all the graffiti or all the little scratch-ins are basically art. Why don't we make bathrooms more comfortable by installing art in there? It's happening. I, I, I'm right with you um, with, with that part because I, I've seen a lot of um, these breweries and stuff that I go to with the food truck and, uh, you know, bathrooms are getting like more and more creative and I love that. Uh, there's a lot of bars down here in Philly that just let you go wild in the bathrooms and I think that should be, yeah, I mean, if people want to do that, because it's hysterical. You ever go in and read some of the shit that's in there? It, it's absolutely amazing um some of the stuff is like scary too dude i'll I'll give you this story (laughs) for me all right so at my uh when i was going to college um i had probably about a two and a half hour break in between classes so there's a local a local i guess bargain store they call it ollie's supermarket well they have the best deals for cereals i'm talking about 169 for a giant family size box of honey smacks you bet your ass i'm buying 50 so (laughs) i literally went into the stalls probably around nine maybe almost 10 o'clock and i got a two hour kill over so i'm like i'm gonna go in here and you know take a shit all right i'm gonna do it nobody's here whatever 
So I go in the stall and I'm looking and you get to see the, the average like, hey, fuck you. Hey, call this number for a good time. And I'm just looking yeah. like people are stupid. And then I look over to the right where the toilet paper is and I see it says right up here it says be in this stall at this time on this date. And I saw it. It was, I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I was in that stall on 11, I think it was 1120 something. And it said the exact time, but it was 30 minutes away. Ugh. I got out of that stall. I walked out and an employee went right into the bathroom exactly at that time. Huh? Yeah. There was a dude, I mean, there was a hole, like that whole thing, like glory hole, like be here this time, that, that dude, I've never been so fucking scared. And I still see that guy when I go into that Ollie's, I don't mention a damn thing. Damn. That's, that's impressive. But that, <laughs> it was such a freak thing. Like I just randomly walk in, look over and I'm like, oh, 1120. What? I was like, that's today. And it's like, that's half hour from now. And I'm looking at, you see a hole. It's like. I don't think he's coming to give me a hug. I think he's looking for something else. And I yeah, it's, it's going down. Like that was a moment where I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, whew, that was a close call. That is dead, and, and I'm sure it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, they always talk about a gas station, but I would never expect like a bargain store and like right next to a fucking Dollar Tree too. I'm like, really? Yeah. There you go. I guess. I guess. I mean, it's benefits. I guess. Not not at the truck stops anymore, man. It's branching out. Yeah, they always talked about that too, and they always warned people like uh, cops would always be on the lookout for like a prostitute or something at a truck stop or something that could kill them. Like, are truckers that bad of guys? Because I'm pretty sure if they're stopping <laughs> at all, it's to take like a shit or it's to sleep. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, uh, any. Well, I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> uh, you're on the road for a while, and I'm sure someone. You know, you always need. Uh, you know, you're away from home, and and if that's the best thing you can get. Hey, man, go for it. Well, even incorporating art into like a bathroom, like, yeah. I mean, that's a stressful place in general. Like that's where you go to relieve stress. And a lot of times like people find it difficulty to get their attention off of trying to go. It's like, why don't we incorporate, like, if you ever try going to the bathroom in a stall or something, it's difficult when people start walking in, you want to be quiet, you start worrying about the people. And um, why don't we just incorporate art? Like I've seen so many like professional bathrooms, single bathrooms. It's so comfortable because when you sit down, they have like candles laid out. Oh, yeah. they, got, they got everything in there. And sometimes you get stuck in the bathroom. Like you've been in there 55 minutes. I'm like, sorry. I was enjoying the fucking painting you had on the wall of two birds. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's great. Ambiance, you know, how can I not take this in? Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm all for that. You know, honestly, I, I, I think it should be in, in more places like that. Serious. It's, it's, it's a good thing to have that, sh that shit out there. I think it's, I like what you did. That was a shit reference. I like it. <laughs> definitely but, had to put a shit reference in, but it was, the fact is, Art is a giant stress relief. Like it's one of the most important things I think of. And I really never truly appreciated it until I went to college. Like I took an art appreciation class. So it really kind of was supposed to be the point of that class was to appreciate art more. But I started looking at it as a form of psychology. Um, I'm very fascinated yeah. with the human mind and how people come to conclusions on things and their environmental influences that bring them there. When we look at art, you know, I have one painting in my studio right now. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. Now, when you look at it, you think immediately acid trip. Um, but it's very, very important. I mean, I'm looking at it now and seeing all the lines and drawings from this, this painting. And you start to realize that he painted that outside of his asylum window. Like he was looking outside of his asylum window and saw this view and sort of this, this perception of what the world was like. And he used such abstract colors to really bring a painting into whole. You can tell by the brush strokes. You know, a common person will see a Mona Lisa and they'll just see a woman. Yeah. But do you ever look right. deeper into the detail, such as how the strokes go across the canvas or how even the styling of certain things are, if certain objects were placed in there at random or are they, they placed in there to really catch your eye? Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, yeah, it's like Starry Night. Um, you're, you're exactly right. He wasn't, you know, he was he not in a good place. Um, he actually, I think he selfly uh, went into to, to get help and, and stayed in the asylum there for a while. He was, he was really sick. Um, and it, 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 that's that's like the, the main, like, I love that progression of, of looking at art and kind of seeing what their life was like at the time. You're, you're right. It's, it's not just looking at a picture. It's not just, oh, that's cool. That's, that's, a, that's a very good detailed uh, woman's face. 
um, there, there is a whole story behind it. There's reasons behind it. And then, uh, you know, you can even get into like, you know, conspiracies behind why that was done that way and who it was done for. And, you know, at the time, what was going on around um, history uh, at the times that these paintings were made. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much deeper. I, I think we're kind of losing that now. Uh, in the art world, I, I think it's more of a, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think it's more of a money-driven uh, business. Uh, but I think yeah. it's just people got a little bit lazy with their art. I mean, I enjoy and appreciate all art. And sadly, the thing is what can get away with now is putting a dot on a canvas and, sure. and just picking an extremely deep meaning to it. Like this dot represents the isolation mankind faces in a world full of blank just normless faces and i'm like okay or did you just put a dot on a canvas and sell it for two hundred thousand dollars i mean if someone wants to go buy that that's fine but whatever happened mm -hmm. to the original styles of art i mean stuff that when you looked at it you're like this person took a lot of fucking time to put into this and when we talk about art being a form of stress relief i mean that's a reason why they teach it to kids at such a young age that's why there's art class it's like one of their most enjoyable classes because it allows expression but even with um, there's conspiracy theories that Vincent Van Gogh was suffering from a form of schizophrenia. Like right. you're seeing through the eyes of what he saw through with dealing with that mental disorder. This is why if you go into any type of um, outpatient care or type where there's like a, a, a you know mental like asylum or something where people are suffering from a severe disorder and can't function properly, they have paintings out, they have art class, they have all these types of things because it lets a person express themselves if they're not able to do it on their own. Their mind can wander with a paintbrush. They're, they can create such magnificent things. You know, We look at things like the Mona Lisa that's apparently not finished, even though we all sure. love it. And some, some dude recently just... um. He recreated the Mona Lisa using Rubik's cubes. Oh yeah, it's like insane. that's amazing. Like, where did yeah. you get your inspiration for this? Like, I got it from an art appreciation class. When did you start to decide you wanted to become a painter or just paint in general? For me, it was. Um, I, I mean, I was born with a crayon. You know, it, it, it's there's like several defining moments in my life where. I, there was there was no way I was getting away from it. You know, I was always art and music heavy. Um, in grade school, I was always coloring. Uh, I was I always had a book. You know, I was. It is not a bad thing. I was an only child, so you know, rainy days, snow days, uh, family vacations. I was I was by myself, and I had a normal childhood. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, and uh, in a great neighborhood, big families. I always had kids around. You know, we were always out. You know, doing stupid shit. Uh, but yeah, you had those days where there's nothing going on. You're stuck in the house and I drew and I colored and I just, I, as I got older, you know, just things just kind of started lining up for me. You know, I started noticing things in, in, in the world. Um, one of the biggest things for me was we always used to, me and me, my, my parents always used to go camping and we would go to, you know, sometimes we go to Jersey, sometimes we go down to like Maryland or Virginia, North Carolina. Um, and we always, you know, just jump on a 95, take 95 South. And you would see as you're going down, now this is like, let's say probably about mid eighties at the time. Uh, you would go down and you see all these buildings, you know, kind of encroaching on the, on the 95. And it had all these, like, I noticed like seven or eight years old, I, I noticed all these like weird letters on the buildings and bright colors. Sometimes it would have a little character, you know, on them and everything. And I was like, what the hell is that about? Like, who's, who's, who, how, why is that on top of a building? Why is this on the side of a wall? Like, it was just, like, graffiti was just getting popular. And I, I, was, I was like, this is the strangest thing. I was like, there's billboards right here. Why don't they put those things on the, on the billboards to show the people? Why, why are they on top of these buildings? And I, I got to the point where I just started seeing it so much. I asked my parents, you know, granted, like I said, I'm seven or eight years old. And uh, I'm like, you know, what's, what's going on with all this writing around here, Mom? And she's like, oh, that's, that's what bad kids do. And I, that was it for me. I was like, well, that's fascinating. I was like, bad kids do this stuff? I'm like, ah, I'm in 100%. That's it. I guess you could and, say that's, and, uh, that's probably partially the reason I always got kicked out of class was because they would just put me in a room where I could just sketch or draw or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. why don't we incorporate art a lot more? I feel like once we get older and we're able to understand a little bit more and where knowledge is kind of more key and importance when it comes to reading and math, it's like, but fuck, in art class, like that lets out so much anger so much things it's a form of therapy 
it, it 100% is. It's your purest self. I mean, art and music, I, I think, is that's that's who you you can't fake that. Um, it's it's exactly who you are, and if you're doing it right, it works. I mean, I think artists, uh, you know, it it definitely brings out struggles and whatnot. But I think the purest people are, you know, artists and musicians. And that's 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 who you're going to get the truth from, and sometimes actors. But, but you know, for the most part, people that are creating, I, I think, are are some of the most interesting people to sit down and talk to. What do you find? to be the things that you like to paint about the most? I mean, we talk about the Navy and stuff. I noticed that a lot yeah. of your stuff happens to focus with water creatures. Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely my biggest thing, uh, you know, from, <laughs> from being in the Navy is, is having that, um, that connection to the water. Um, also, it's just like water creatures are actually just fun to paint. Um, they have interest. I mean, there's, there's endless, you know, absolutely endless um, amounts of, of different things you can do with, with, with the ocean creatures. Uh, but you know, mostly it's, it's my travels. Um, that is my biggest inspiration. You now being in the Navy 20 years, I've been everywhere. There's not anything in this world. Um, I haven't seen, like literally I have been all the way around the world. And the best part was, you know, seeing art, um, experiencing culture, meeting different people, uh, the food, uh, and that all kind of is over the years has made the art what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing, I'm, I'm experimenting with some things right now. I've always, uh, back in my Navy days when I couldn't actually sit down to be an artist because you're never in one place for too long. So you can't establish yourself as an artist. Um, that's why I'm, I'm really pushing to do it more seriously now. And uh, yeah, I've always gone through this evolution of uh, the things around me and, and putting that into my art. So yeah, the sea creatures now, it's kind of like, yeah, my reflection back on, you know, being on the water for so long. I feel like when I try and get into a zone to paint, I have to have those moments. Like I just randomly get an inspiration or I have to set up my environment around me, whether it's putting in headphones or whether it's kind of getting yeah. into a place where like my mind is cool. You know what I mean? Trying yep. to paint frustrated is very, very difficult because you, you're not focused inside of the painting. Um, I usually find when I do sketches of something, they happen to do a lot with space, which is kind of where the reference for the name of the podcast came from. Yeah. But mostly just in collaboration, like I'm a fan of like when I see um, types of reggae infused art, such as like swirling colors and such uh, symbolistic things that bring a sense of calmness to somebody using like the basic blues, um, dark mm -hmm. purples, you know, stuff that represents a little bit of a mood to it, but not anger. You know, if I'm feeling like I want to paint something like a sunset or sunrise or something, the, the color combinations and the differences can truly make a painting unique. I mean, the amount of art that is out there, no matter like, I never look at art and I say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's this. Oh, that's that. I right. say, did you try or did you not try? When you look at an art, I mean, a simple fucking hand on a piece of paper traced and making a turkey is art. You know, yeah. that's some of some of the best art. I mean, shit, shout out to my nephew. You know, he's doing that right now. <laughs> and um, exactly. types of paintings, but like even like I find myself fascinated with pastel art. Like that was a mm. pain in the ass for me. Yep. The crown was okay. I liked doing it. A shout out to Applebee's Fridays and Outback. Those places were amazing when they gave me the crown and I was coloring and shit. But when it comes to pastel art, that stuff always got off on my fingers. I end up pressing way too hard, making it way too yeah. blurred up. And the people can, that can blend the colors together perfectly is fucking amazing. It is. It's absolutely insane. And it's, it's all about, you know, how much you're doing it. And, and, you know, and creating the, um, the evolution of where you start from and, and where, where you can possibly be. And I tell people that all the time. Like I, I get into so many conversations with like friends and families that are, 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 are like, oh, what, you know, how do you do? I don't, I don't have the talent. That's, that's the biggest thing that they say. Like, oh, I just, I'm just not talented. I'm just not. And it, it, I, when I sit and talk to them, it's like, well, have you ever like sat down to paint? Yeah, I can't. I, I just, I can't. I'm not creative. I, I, I can't do it. Um, so there's not even, a, for a lot of people, there's no, there's no try, you know, and, and it's, you have to get to in, in this, into it, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to actually sit down, take the time, screw a lot of shit up. Cause you're not just going to, you know, make this masterpiece in 20 minutes. That's, I think that's the, um, that's, that's what people think that's what's going to happen. Um, and it takes years, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm nowhere near, you know, where I want to be. You know, there's so much to learn. And that's why I get out and I talk to other artists and I watch, you know, videos and, and, uh, 
and, and get out to galleries and things and study uh, because it's, it's never ending. It's always evolving and people don't understand. It's like, well, you know, you just woke up one day and started painting and, and that's what you got. And it's not, it's not that at all. It's a, it's a constant evolution of, oh shit, this don't work for me. Let me do this. Oh, I screwed this up. You know, and I constantly, when I'm painting now, I always have the, usually a small canvas next to me that I'll try some stuff out on. And I'm like, okay, that, that color works with that. That's blending over that. And then I go on to the, you know, the canvas that I'm working on and, uh, and, and work it out that way. And I still screw it up. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's not working out perfectly all the time. You see these masters and, you know, there's, there's a huge line of screw ups before they get to what they can actually where, where they're actually at, you know. The, yeah, well, products. see, the, the problem with that is it's like if it's just when someone's trying to learn art and they're trying to really get onto the basis of it, it's very, very difficult when you see so many amazing paintings and so many different talents and unique creative styles. I mean, when I draw something and I'm like, damn, that looks good. And I remember in my art class, there was this girl that had a sketchbook and I would, I, she would never show it. She would always hide. And usually those are the kids in school that get made fun of, but they're some of the most talented ones. And yeah. I walked over and she had a native American kind of drawing on her thing and, and with like the giant headdress and all. And I was like, this yeah. is fucking awesome. And she started like, I was like, can I see more of your sketches? And she was way older than I was by like, she thinks she was a senior. I was a freshman. And she was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, are you making fun of me? I'm like, no, can I see more of these? And she's showing me a whole bunch of them, finds out she has her own art site and everything. And I'm like, some of the people that you would never think of have the biggest creativity passion to them. I mean, it does suck if you're like me and you can only really draw stick figures. I still can't draw fucking hands or feet. Those are the <laughs> most. Wait, wait on that. My person looks like, I don't even know, like he's uh, got like bananas for feet and stuff. But when I was looking at that, it's all the extreme detail from the shading, from all these different variations of the pressing down the pencil, getting a darker shade and going to a lighter yeah. version. It all plays into a, a giant factor, but it is kind of discreditable. Like for me as a trying to, you know, go off and paint something and think it's awesome. And then I look and see that I'm like, well, then mine's shit. You know, that's for a lot of people. They feel like, oh, since, you know, they tried something and they fail because they look at someone else's painting. I'm like, no, give it time. It's like a muscle. You have to build it up. You have to understand it and you have to learn it. Yeah, hey, you're exactly right. You know, people don't understand. People don't get the time. You got to put in your 10, just like anything else. You got to put in your 10,000 hours um, if you're going to try out anything. I always tell people like, look, if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to commit to something, commit to it for at, at a minimum, give yourself six weeks. In six weeks, you're going to be better at anything that you try to do from start to those to the end of that six weeks. Um, don't just sit down, you know, give it a shot, be like, well, that's not for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't really think you're going to get, you know, in, into too many cool things if, if you have that kind of attitude. Uh, and I, I tell friends that I have, I have one friend that I paint with um, who is awful, absolutely awful for the longest time. And then, you know, something clicked. And it, He's like, oh man, check this out. I did this with this. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. And, and that's all he needed, that little boost of confidence. Like, look, last week I was shit, but I did this and it turned out to be okay. And then he, now he's an amazing artist. I see his stuff around all the time and uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been in those situations where I, I walked into to shows, hung my stuff up and looked around and I'm like, oh my God, I'm the worst artist in here. And, and then I've been on the opposite side of that. You know, I, I just did a, um, uh, a few months ago, I did a, a small pop-up show and it, it, there, were, there was a lot of students there. And when they, when they put up all their stuff and like, I was the old guy in the room and, uh, which was kind of odd, but you know, they all looked at my thing. Nobody talked at, you know, talked to me. Like nobody wanted to come over and say something, you know, and they kind of got their little group and, uh, and hung out. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? And they're like, Oh, you know, you, you come walking in here and put these you know, magnificent masterpieces up. And I'm like, dude, you, you kidding me? And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're just like in awe of your work. That's such a weird side to be on. It really is like, ah, oh, thanks. I can't take compliments like that. And um, it was really nice. You know, it's, it's cool. And then I got to like shed some of my wisdom, I guess, uh, to them. And, uh, you know, we're all we're all kind of our little group now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be around that um, artists are great people to be around. Everybody's always trying to pull each other up. I love well, that. That's the best thing about like if you're into a hobby or into a passion, you know, if you're around people that aren't experiencing the same thing as you, you know, all the time, like if you're doing art or painting or photography and you're around someone that sits there and discredits photography or you're bad around bad environmental influences, 
um, such as people like, oh, why are you doing that? Why is painting stupid? Why are you doing painting? If they keep telling you that, it's going to make a more of a, I guess, it's going to turn it into a job when you start painting. Like, why am I doing this? He said it's stupid. I shouldn't be doing this. It's like, no, if you surround yourself with people that are creative like that there, where you're constantly like, you could be riffing over a cup of coffee or something. And next yeah. thing you know, you're like, dude, imagine if you could, you know, and then you shoot an idea out and they don't discredit it. They don't say that's stupid or uh, whatever and totally gloss over it. What do you want to eat or something? They sit there and they feed into it. Like, yeah, imagine. And then you could do a nice shading of this and a nice thing. It's called good conversation. You know, so many yeah. times people don't have the patience to sit down and do something. I mean, how long did it take for you to do your squid painting? Um, that one was uh, over over a year, and and it's and it wasn't constant. It was back. I, I put it to the side for a while, uh, work on some other stuff, and and I do that with a lot of my paintings. You know, I'll get to a point where I'm like, ah, I don't want to tackle this yet because I'm not sure I'm going to nail this, or I'm not sure I'm where I want to be. Well, Da Vinci was working on the Mona Lisa for a very, I mean, a few years he was working on it and he was never finished. He be left, he, he believed that art was never finished, just left undone. He believed that if you took a time step back or whatever, took a couple of days mm -hmm. or something, looked at the painting again, you would find adjustments. You would find something to get back into it. People think it all has to be done in one sitting and that's just not oh, yeah. how art works. No, you're exactly right. And, and, and I've done that. I've, I've sat down on Saturday after afternoons and just on a small piece you know just to get it out. i have an idea in my head and i'll just you know waste a saturday painting and then like other bigger stuff that i do yeah i rotate usually about four or five paintings um like i'm gonna work on a little bit of this today or you know it, or you're just not in the mood to look at that painting anymore you know it's been sitting on the easel for like a month and you're like i can't stand the sight of you and uh that's why you know i'm not married uh and you put it to the side and you pull another one out and you're like all right let me get a little bit of this done i haven't worked on you in a while i haven't done this in a while and you just kind of have this like nice little cycle of, of fresh stuff in front of you um that you can just constantly work on like you said you're, you're never done I, I have to get to that point where you just start detailing and then you over detail and then i'm like you know what i gotta put a signature on this and just put it inside and, and put it in the corner and you know uh, you know, put it on you know Instagram or something like that. Let people say, "Hey, that's awesome," and then move on. Yeah, I think that's a benefit <laughs> of social media and technology now is the fact that people can put up their art and they can hashtag it something, and people will come across and they'll find those positive influences. You know, whenever oh, yeah. you look at art culture, even though you might have people on your whatever that follow you that don't really like the stuff you're posting, you'll find somebody who looks at that painting and be like, "Holy shit, that's awesome!" Like, whoa makes me want to trip out like take mushrooms and look at a painting you know what i mean right. like starry night exactly. does but when you look at the type of things that people pull from it like for me i remember the reason that it connected with me so well was in our appreciation class he knew i like psychology and he said i want you to use psychoanalysis to start understanding art so he gave me this kind of a picture of a bowl of fruit and i'm like looking at it i'm like it's another fucking bowl of fruit painting Right. This is one in like 50,000 and where everybody yeah. was like, it's just bowl of fruit. It's just a bowl of fruit. I started looking at it deeper. I was like, did he use that cloth? Because maybe that has some type of influence to him as a child looking. He used a, a weird, unique silk cloth that the bowl was on top of that had some Italian kind of style to it. Then immediately my mind started imaging the room that it was in. Like it was in this kind of looked like a kitchen, but I was like, is it in, is it in Paris? Is it in France? Is it in something in Italy? Is it something And my mind just started wandering where I started writing down paragraphs upon paragraphs with my analysis on it. And he looked at it and he read it in front of the class. He was like, I've, he's like, to pull that from a fruit painting, like that's true creativity. And I was like, we just need to look at art a little bit deeper. Let's, instead of, you know, standing back where the rope tells us to not go any closer so we're not breathing on it, but look deep into the detail and try and find why they use the brush stroke that way. What kind of effect does it play? All these types of characteristics from the shading to the colors to really capture your attention and make you try and feel something from art. I mean, when you look at art, nobody should ever look at a true art piece and think the same exact thing it should be like looking at a cloud you guys should see two completely different things yeah you're exactly right uh and it's it's not just a picture there's always a deeper meaning there's always a story and it, it can go anywhere you know it's it's what you think it's what they think that's why i mean i always say we have art conversations and stuff like nobody nobody knows anything about art like that's like the best way to put it like nobody knows anything about art it's it's 
but what it's what the individual thinks and what the artist is painting and and, and that relationship between the two anything else like that's that's why it's always tough like you know to put you know, these, these conversations where it's like oh you know jackson pollock's go for millions and uh, barnett newman's go for millions and they're so like oh i just threw paint on something and i'm a millionaire now you know it's not it's not that people don't understand that it's it's a life story it's uh, a situation it's it's something around that painting it's what the artist's you know life was about um you know that that made that brought that specific whatever kind of painting it is just a bunch of paint splattered on a on a canvas uh to its value and i think people really kind of cheapen that by just saying oh wow i just threw some paint on there and now he's a millionaire well mean, it's, it's not mean that taping a banana to a fucking wall and then keep this- changing the banana because you figure out that a banana freaking <laughs> decomposes i guess you'd say <laughs> Is that the most ridiculous thing ever? I mean, when that's when that all came out, I was like, yeah, that's that's where we're at now. And I, but, but the same thing is like, I get it. Like you can do that. There's no other world where that would happen, you know. And I think that they what did what did it go for like 120? I think 120 thousand dollars. I get it, stuff. man, and I understand. But then I look at it and I'm like, come on, like, did you just do yeah. it because you were like, hey, fuck you, I can I can make money off this? But I mean. I, people pull whatever they want from, I guess, art. And I, maybe somebody pulled that and thought it was going to be some hip trend. But a lot of times, yeah. like art connoisseurs, all these types of things, they're not buying from what means something to them. They're buying something that they think is going to be super popular, what's going to be trendy. It's like you lose the establishment of what the art is. The painting should go to a person or go to a place where people are actually going to enjoy it and truly take it in. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it, and it's it's not like that now. It's 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 what the popular thing is. It's what, you know, c- celebrities and stuff are like some of your huge um, influences in, in art now. It's like, oh, yeah, that that dude is has got, you know, it's this really cool thing and, and I'm going to buy it. And then because a celebrity bought it or something, now they're worth, uh, you know, millions, well, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, for, for what? Like, I, I don't I, I, I don't get it a lot of times. And it's, you know, it's not great art. It's just something that they liked. And, and you know, who, who am I to question it, honestly? Well, how does this go from to the food truck? Is that because art, you're creating art with your, your food? Uh, yeah, the, well, the food truck is it's more, yeah, it's, it's more related now than it, than it was when, when uh, we first started. But I, it's, in the beginning, I just moved back to Philly after, um, after uh, getting out of the Navy. And a, a buddy of mine, we were high school friends forever. Actually, I used to date his sister in high school. Um, and uh, he was a little brother. But um, he, he's, been a, he's been a chef in Philly for over 20 years. And, and he had a, a restaurant down here in Center City. I think it was like 12th and Market uh, called Eat a Pita. And as soon as he opened it up, they scaffolded the building around. And, and he got no foot traffic at all and didn't do good his first year. And he took whatever money um, he had left and you know, decided to get into this food truck thing. I happened to be just getting myself settled in, in Philly and hanging out with friends again. And he called me up one day and he's like, yo, I'm doing this food truck thing. I was like, what do you think? I was like, oh, hell no. That's a bad idea. I'll do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he kind of wrote me into it a little bit. You know, he started doing it. Uh, he did like, I think one event, one or two events by himself. And he had this big thing set up in Jersey. It was like a big festival set up. And uh, he calls me up. And he's like, yeah, look, I, I think I might have got into over, over my head a little bit. Uh, I'm doing this, uh, you know, by myself. I'm not, I'm not, you know, barely keeping my head above water with, with, with cooking and serving and everything. He's like, can, can you help me out? I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I drove out to Jersey, no knowledge of anything. You know, like I said, I, I kind of know some art. And and I and I know some navy stuff. That's that's the that's the depth of my life. And uh, I went out there, and you know he's this big time chef. And and he, I get on the truck, and he shows me the grill, and you know he's like, yeah, I cook this like this. I do this here. This goes together. This looks like that. That's what that does. We have like six or seven menu items now. I was like, all right, I'll do the best I can, dude. And we opened the window, and we got slammed. And for the probably the next seven hours, I just had my head shoved into a grill and I was just throwing food around, just doing, 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 doing. And like the whole Navy training, you know, came in like, you know, this is your mission, get it done. Ah. And we, we knocked it out of the park. And, and at the end, we, we kind of went outside and sat down on a core and had a beer. And he was like, dude, you're not going nowhere. He's like, you're on this now. 
and we partnered up and uh, you know came up with this whole uh, the Scooby Doo style thing. The, the, the food truck's called the Munchie Machine, by the way. It's yeah, awesome. I I figured that's <laughs> that was a little bit of your influence coming at it because I feel like what really attracts people to a food truck is either if it's super super basic or if it's something that really catches their attention, like eye popping type stuff. And you have literally a food truck that's painted like the fucking Mystery Machine, and you call Isn't it the amazing? Munchie Machine. So it's when I looked at it, I was like, oh shit, Scooby Doo. I mean, even if you self vegan food i'm gonna go up there just because it's the munchie machine and you're exactly right that was that was actually mostly my my, my partner um he you know we, we of course you know we're 80s you know kids and stuff it's it's what we grew up around and uh we he didn't want to do a themed truck like a taco truck or a burger truck or a hot dog truck you know it's he wanted the the theme to be fluid any kind of food so exactly what you said like people are going to walk up and be like well, what do you do and we're like, oh, we're kind of like a comfort food, uh, you know, for stoners type situation, you know, it's like, and, and, it, and that's what it attracts everybody. Everybody always walks up to the truck and like, guys, are you like, are you 420 friendly, man? And I'm like, well, uh, I work for the government and my friend here is the school teacher. So, <laughs> but you're our best audience because what do stoners like to eat everything on the menu? Exactly. You know, and, and our menu does um, change a lot. We have a few staples that we keep on there to, you know, when people come up. They're like, oh, I come here because you have this item. Do you uh, sell Scooby snacks? Yeah, we have uh, Scooby snacks. Our usual are desserts, but in the summertime, we actually do uh, make homemade dog treats. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 fit right into that mold. It's awesome. Where um, do, how do you typically stylize your menu depending on where you're going, or do you yeah. try and stick around a basis of some food too? Like, what do you? What's your top selling thing? I mean, you got something called the Munchie Machine, so it's like. What are you selling that's good for a stoner? Are we talking about Frosted Flakes? Because, I mean, I can kill a bowl of cereal when I'm pretty <laughs> up there. We, uh, we, we have, like, our staples. Um, one of our best sellers, we do a chicken and waffle cone. It's, you know, it's like a um, popcorn-style chicken. And everything we do is homemade, by the way. Uh, we do a popcorn-style chicken and uh, shoved into a waffle cone with uh, bacon and maple glaze on it. That's going nowhere. That was actually um, my partner's niece just came up with it one day and we're like, yeah, that's or actually at the time he was like, yeah, it's, it's, that's 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 going on the menu, and it's never died. Um, great stoner thing we got is uh, the, the potato. We have our own potato chips, and we do it like a nacho style with a um, with a salsa and sour cream, and you know some lime, and we sometimes put some bacon and and, and um, some pork belly or something on top of it. Uh, and those those are our two main things that will probably never go anywhere. And then we tailor the menu kind of. For where we're at if we do festivals um if it's a theme style festival we'll come up with some catchy thing uh if we, we do a lot of breweries a lot of wineries so we're always kind of matching beer food up um we do a lot of cool uh grilled cheese sandwiches uh we do uh, pierogies with our with our own style cheese sauce um with kielbasa like everything we have to buy is like real nice local good stuff so it's 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 always geared towards wherever the hell we're at it's pretty awesome yeah, well, that's a good thing too. Like you're getting kind of more of what I would say of fresh ingredients. It's kind of needed when it comes yeah. to food because, yeah, the processed shit's really good when you're high, but it makes you feel like shit. I mean, that <laughs> stuff gets amplified. Like I'll never forget, I got so stoned that I ended up doing um. I used to be really big into chicken tenders, and I think this is what killed it for me. Um, <laughs> that Ken's steak or the Ken's honey mustard, the sauce. Oh yeah, the steak dinner, whatever the giant ones. I would drown my chicken tenders in that shit. I mean, where it was like soup. And I remember I ate a whole thing of chicken tenders and I had that, like that, all that sauce inside of me. I got so high, dude, that I was getting the spins and like literally was like the craziest thing I've ever been on. And I literally got so sick because I couldn't, my mind wouldn't stop spinning. Like, and I couldn't go to bed. So I literally just puked all that up. And I mean, you want to know when your body starts feeling like shit is when it's amplified <laughs> by marijuana, but that makes you, that's look all at it things, takes. Yeah. It makes you look at things differently. Like some people won't eat when they're high or some people, when they eat, they eat way too much and they end up getting sick or killing their high. It's oh, like yeah. eat some vegetables, eat something. Cause you're going to feel a hell of a lot better afterwards. You're going to be like, wow, I feel good. Like, you know, and you start being more conscious about the stuff you're doing too. Like maybe I shouldn't be having 12 cups of coffee right now. Maybe I should be consuming water maybe i should be trying like a nice like you know beverage but easing it and truly appreciating it 
Oh yeah, it's that's it, and we get it a lot. I mean, well, it, most of the time we're out at these festivals and stuff like that. It's more, I mean, people are more with their families, so we don't run into it as much as you would think. But um, yeah, people people definitely like, especially the worst is when you're driving down the road. Uh, when you when you take that thing and put it on 95, or you're out in Jersey, or you know, out in like Westchester area. Um, yeah, we you you get a lot of like college kids coming up and just freaking out like, like, oh my god, this is the greatest truck I've ever seen in my life. Oh, you guys are nuts. Everybody's taking pictures with it and everything. So, you know, we love it. And you always got the one dude that's like, Can I see the menu? It's like it's right there. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool. He's looking at it for like 45 minutes and he's like, So many options. So many there's, options. <laughs> there's a lot of that. You we get and, and I love it all, man. It's 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 so funny. Um, a lot of people come up and they and they um uh they they wanted a certain way like hey do you have this and can i have mine like that and can you put that on the side and this that and the other thing it's like you know at, at when it all boils down you're just giving them like a little paper boat full of chicken it's like i don't i don't think you should be hitting up the food truck sweetheart uh you know i think you'd be <laughs> stay at home and, and and make yourself some pop tarts or something because food truck food is probably not for a lot of people that come up you and, become an artist when you're stoned in the kitchen i don't know oh, what yeah it is. it's amazing it's like Little Dickie's song when he's like making a whole bunch of things with chicken tenders and he forgets about them like halfway through the song. It's like, I think the wise words of any stoner I've ever heard were the biggest decisions are the one when it comes to food. Like when you walk into a grocery store, if you walk into um, like a convenience store to get some candy, you're like, fuck, there's so many options. It becomes like a moral decision where you're holding a three musketeers and like a freaking Kit Kat in your hand. Like, do I want something crunchy? But maybe the crunch will be too loud. Or it'll scare me. And like you start having these thoughts. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, if imagine trying to be stoned and creating like a whole kitchen menu, you would go to shit like you look at it in the morning. You're like, did you want to mix ravioli spaghettios and you wanted to mix it with Doritos? Yeah, man, that would be delicious. It's like, yeah, but the smoothness and the crunch together would cause someone to chip a tooth. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible, and what we what you can come up with, and we we actually do that. We've done we've done sandwiches, man. We put like funyuns in them, you know, and shit like that. Like you know, because they're definitely catering to the crowd, and people are like come up and they see like, oh my god, man, you put funyuns on that sandwich? That's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, like yeah, that's what you got to do. You're representing the mystery machine, but really, right? who's who's the main people you think of when you me- when you mention the mystery machine? You think of Scooby and Shaggy, so you got to exactly. think of those weird combinations. They were all about food too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and, and we try to at, at the best we can is to get weird with it without putting it, you know, making it off putting and and too specific where people are like they don't get it. I mean, I, we have tons of people that come up and have no idea. They're like, oh, I like your truck. We're like, oh, thanks. And then, like, because we have some Scooby-Doo stuff on the inside of the truck, and they're like, what's the deal with Scooby-Doo? And you're like, dude, seriously? You don't like Scooby-Doo? Like- and there's and there's, <laughs> there's always somebody in line, like, behind them, like, that's what their truck looks like. It's the Scooby-Doo bin. And they're like, oh, I didn't even get that. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Well, there you pick, are. Pick a different truck, bro. <laughs> like that's why people are usually come up to us because they like the you know the scooby-doo theme of it we're still waiting to get our asses sued by the way um so you'll you know, be okay be <laughs> you'll be okay i think the scooby-doo creators are pretty cool i they had a they had an episode where uh, kiss was on there so i think we're all right yeah if you know if you get kiss and the globetrotters on your show you're, you're not gonna mess with anybody well sean i really appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast man it's been good chatting with you yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure. It was a great, fun thing to do. Man. It's awesome. If you want to um, shout out some of your links where people can follow your food truck, where people can follow your Instagram page just so they can see your art as well, um, or anything like a site or something you want to put, uh, feel free to do so. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the food truck, we're at Munch Machine. Uh, we're on Facebook at Munch Machine as well. Um, the uh, the art side of, of life is going to be my Instagram is at sack the squid is s a c t h e s q u i d and I also just started a um, an Etsy page I, I got you know conned well I was a con I got talked into doing it so there's a couple pieces on there uh, that I'm selling so that's um Stackamondi Studios it's s a c c o m-a-n-d-i studios uh, go on there check out some of the work it's uh, it's all for sale obviously and um yeah that's about it uh my my biggest thing it, right now coming up is uh from was it march no i'm sorry yeah march 1st 
to May 1st, uh, I'm going to have some of my work being displayed uh, up on the 57th floor of the observation deck of Liberty One. So if anybody is in town and visiting or, you know, you're, you're local in the Philly area and you get over there, yeah, my, my work will be up there on the observation deck of Liberty One for a while. It's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much, Sean. And thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode.